Hey everybody, welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is the biggest Grizzlies and Titans fan I know, aka somebody who's very happy right now, Big E, aka Ethan Tay. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Both of our teams made it to the playoffs, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Speaking of playoffs, we are going to give our first-round playoff predictions in just a bit, so definitely stay tuned for that. Also, we're going to talk what's going on in Jacksonville with regards to some of their decisions with players. Also, ranking the best fits for Julio Jones. Then we're going to close out this bad boy with uh, my recap of WrestleMania Backlash, and gosh, I hate saying that. But before we get to any of that, please share to check out thexreport.net. I repeat, thexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours, truly and fellow Xport writers, previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Now, in a recent interview, Bucks head coach Bruce Arians was recently asked about the potential of him retiring, just the personnel changes that have been taking place in Tampa, to which he responded that he would like to stay with the team. I'm going to pull up the quote because it brought up an interesting question of which um, head coach do we think is going to retire first? Arian said, I could get it. I could get extremely excited about having another young quarterback and going to war with. I'll be honest with you, I'd be honest to take Blaine Gabbert to war because I love Blaine Gabbert. I think he's the most underrated player in the NFL. So yeah, when it's not fun, then it'll be time. So like I said, seeing this quote made me think of the other older quarterbacks, I mean head coaches in the league. We got Pete Carroll, who is the oldest. He's going to be 70 in September. Bill Belichick, who just turned 69. And then Bruce Arians, who also be turning 69 this year too. Two. So, Ethan, of those three head coaches, which one do you think will retire first? I honestly think it will be um, Bill Belichick, <laughs> simply because out of those three coaches, he already has the most accomplished career. And, like, yes, he, he's a beautiful football mind, he's a football savant, and he genuinely loves the game. But it's like, what more can you accomplish? You have you have six Super Bowls with a franchise. You're tied for the most Super Bowls in the history of the NFL, and like you're in this state of transition, whereas like Pete Carroll, he he has a Super Bowl under his belt alone from the Aries, but they have a lot more to prove. And Pete Carroll is quite honestly, yes, he's the oldest coach in the NFL, but personality wise, he doesn't show it. Like he's very vibrant. He's very upbeat. Um, honestly, I feel like Pete Carroll is one of the coaches in the NFL that's most weak, just by the way he gets. Wouldn't be surprised. But, but, yeah, like, I think it would have to be. I would go with um, Bill. Um, I would actually say Bruce, but it's kind of with an asterisk on it because with regards to Bill Belichick, I feel like if he can bring – the Patriots back to their winning nature. Like, personally, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't want to retire again. I mean, retire until he got his seventh ring. Because I just feel like it's part of his ego to where he wants to have as many rings as Tom Brady. I feel like he won't feel right if he retires before he can at least tie Tom. Or at least knowing that Tom won something without him and he didn't win anything. So I think that's kind of an ego thing that can kind of keep Bill Belichick around. But I really think it's going to be Bruce Arians. We know that after his tenure with the Cardinals, he did retire for a bit for health reasons and ended up coming back to the Bucks. And I feel like... I mean, he can say he wants to go to war with the young quarterback, speaking of Kyle Trask, who they got in the second round, or maybe Blaine Gabbert. But realistically, after you 
deal with a Hall of Fame, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. I mean, it, it's you're just going to go down. It's just going to be a downgrade. And I mean, let's say in Tom Brady's last season, whenever that is, they won the Super Bowl. And then he doesn't make the playoffs next year. Like, nobody really wants to go through that transition. And I feel like Bruce Arians, I mean, of course, those the first year with Tampa, it was kind of questions about how good of a coach he is. But, I mean, he's a great offensive mind, been a quarterback guru throughout his career. And, I mean, since he at least has one ring and who's to say he won't get any more, I just feel like he'll feel like he won't have anything else to prove. So, of the three, I can see him retiring First, but yeah, I think Pete Carroll's gonna be around for a lot longer. God, you know, God willing. But all right, so let's talk about another quarter. I mean, head coach who did retire, Urban Meyer, who, as we all know, was a great quarter. I mean, great head coach. Why are you saying quarterback? Great head coach at both Florida and Ohio State. Took some time off before taking the Jacksonville job, and now seems to try to be implementing some college ideas to the pro game. Don't believe me? Well, at the start of rookie camp, it was noticed that Travis Etienne, the first-round running back who they selected, um, has been taking all of his reps at wide receiver. When asked about it, Urban Meyer said, worst-case scenario, you have a running back that's elite with receiver skills. What do you think is really going on with that situation, and do you really think that Travis Etienne is going to line up at wide receiver when the season comes? I think what's going on is um, Urban Meyer is taking this approach to before I say what I'm thinking. So the NFL has become more influenced by the college game. They're more they're, they have a more spread offense. Like now, back in the day, like in the early 2000s, like you know, you would have spread quarterbacks in college that looked amazing, but then they come to the NFL and they have to run a pro style offense. Where they take snaps under the center, they have an iPhone, they have a, um, they have multiple um tight ends in a formation and they didn't they didn't know how to process it. And I think what Urban Meyer is doing is he's taking that approach that they had in college, but he's going the extra step. We all know that he was very successful in college with Florida and Ohio State. And because of the transition of the college game being more integrated into the NFL, he I think he's looking at it like, okay, if it's being if if it's happening now and it's showing signs of success, because you think about it, like most of the top quarterbacks now in the NFL, they aren't taking the majority of their snaps under center anymore. They're taking the majority of their snaps in the shotgun. They're in um five wide formations where it's no there's no running back to their side. So I think he's doing this thing about, okay, they're doing this now. Let me take it to the next step because we all know in college, a lot of guys in college, they play multiple positions. Like you had a Percy Harden with him in Florida, and he was he was missing as a wide receiver. But it was multiple times where you saw him in the backfield and he took snaps as a running back. And I think that's a part of the reason. That's what he's doing with Travis ETN. It's like he's getting him ready to feel like that Percy Harvin type role where he has multiple positions in the offense. Fair enough. Um, I could see that as well. My only thing is, while Travis Etienne was an explosive player at Clemson, I don't think he has that same versatility as a Percy Harvin because Percy Harvin was really just a gadget player, and he didn't take – a large percentage of his snaps at one position. Pretty much every snap that Travis Etienne took at Clemson was at running back. And while he was a good receiver out of the backfield, it's different 
actually lining up at wide receiver, taking the nuances of being a wide receiver. So while I do completely understand about like how the NFL game is becoming a bit more college-like, I think that Urban is kind of trying to do a thing where you know, when you're recruiting, you get guys just listed as athletes and you put them all over the field and then they just end up getting a position. And he's hoping to do the same thing um, in the pros, which I think it could work because with ETM being a rookie, it's not like he's already accustomed himself into being a pro player. You know, like it's not like he said, DJ Shark, who's a wide receiver. Hey, man, we're going to put you at running back for some plays. Well, he's been playing wide receiver in the league for like three, four years. So I think it'd be a more difficult transition. So I think that it could potentially work out, but I think that Urban is definitely um, being being creative, to put it nicely. But speaking of another creative decision, it was made official that uh, tra- that um, Tim Tebow has signed a league minimum to be the Jacksonville Jaguars' latest tight end. And so right now, here are the other tight ends they have on their roster. Tim Tebow, Tyler Davis, Ben Elfson, Luke Farrell, Chris Manhurts, and James O'Shaw- O'Shaughnessy. Of those guys, the only two that I know for a fact have taken some significant reps are Chris Manhurts and James O'Shaughnessy. So, week one rolls around, assuming Tim Tebow makes the roster. Do you really think he's going to be their starting tight end? No, I think because the only one of those tight ends that you missed is James O'Shaughnessy. I think he will probably be the week one starter. Simply because, like, you can't just bring in a guy that has, A, haven't played a game in the NFL in nine years. B, he hasn't even played tight ends in high school. Like, a lot of people forget that Tim Tebow was originally a tight end when he was in high school, when he turned and he got switched to quarterback. But it's a difference in being a tight end in college and being a tight end in the NFL. It's a, it's a way faster game. It's way more physical. But I think that he – I don't think he'll ever technically start unless it's injury-related things. And being honest, I wouldn't be surprised if the Jets, if they make a move to sign like a free agent because you still have a guy like Blaney Walker. Yes, he's older and like – I think the last time we said he was like, what, 33? He is – I looked it up. He's like 36 or 37. He's he's older. But you still – he he had to, he took a year away from the game. He got his body right. And – when he was last on the field, he was a productive player. Like, so that could be a viable option. These guys out there are pre-agent tight ends that you could look at if you genuinely, if you really want to fortify that position. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you with regards to T-Ball. I mean, not to mention making their transition from college to NFL, but I mean, you also we're talking about a guy who hasn't played in eight years. And even when he played, he wasn't a tight end. So it's going to be a big adjustment. I'll be shocked if within just the first couple of months of minicamp, he's all of a sudden just the NFL-ready tight end. That's not a realistic thing to expect out of him. Um, so with that being said, I'm in agreement with you. I could see Chris Manhurst doing it. Um, he made some nice plays with the Panthers when he was there. Um, like you said, O'Shaughnessy, I could see him doing things as well. Um, but overall, like it just, I feel like it'd be too much to just expect him to just come out and just be a prime starter. Like, if anything, if you really want to keep him, I think that, 
you have to coach him up even into the season. You still have to try to teach him the nuances of the position. But it will be interesting to see. But, all right, let's go ahead and talk the worst to first teams. Now, last year, here were the teams that finished last in their division. The Atlanta Falcons, Jacksonville Jaguars, New York Jets, Detroit Lions, Cincinnati Bengals, Philadelphia Eagles, Denver Broncos, and San Francisco 49ers. Of those teams, which one, if you had to pick, could you see winning their respective divisions this upcoming season? I would have to go with the San Francisco 49ers simply because the only reason they were in the position that they were in was because they lost significant pieces to injury. Like they lost Nick Bosa, they lost um, Solomon Thomas. They lost a lot of key guys, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And, like, they, they're getting those guys back healthy. They also, in my opinion, they made some pretty decent acquisitions throughout free agency in the draft to help fortify their roster. So I got to go with San Fran. I'm going to stick with the NFC team, but I'm actually going to say the Eagles. I feel like one – Something that I think people are really forgetting is their offensive line is getting healthy. Lane Johnson is expected to be healthy. Brandon Brooks, who's a star guard, missed last year with the torn ACL. He's coming back. Jason Kelsey's coming back. They still have Andre Dillard, who can be a swing offensive lineman. So they're getting some very valuable pieces back on that offensive line, which was terrible last year. I think that they've also brought in some nice uh, weapons for Jalen Hurts to play with. I mean – Devontae Smith, say what you will about his size, but, I mean, the man still won a Heisman. He's one of the most explosive wide receivers to come into the league in some time. I'm excited to see his progression, what he'll be able to do. And defensively, I mean, this just this week they signed Ryan Kerrigan, who I feel like can be a nice presence within their defensive front. Um, we talk about how great Washington was last year, but, I mean, Ryan Kerrigan was still a very productive player. He just wasn't one of the young guns, and he was in more of a, a situational role and more of a rotational player as opposed to being the starter that we all know. So I think that the Eagles, especially with the division they're in, when you look at the NFC West, it's so competitive. There's so many teams that you can make an argument for it. Pretty much every team to really pull the trigger and win that division, whereas with the East, you can make the same argument that it's open, but it's not as competitive. Every team has big questions on it. And I think that the Eagles – they're a team that won the division just a couple years ago, the most recent team out of that division to win a Super Bowl. And I think that long as they're getting their key veteran pieces back and they're going to be healthy, I think that they could be the ones to do it. But all right, let's talk about a player who we all know is an impact guy, Julio Jones, as the reports about him potentially being traded and the Falcons wanting to trade him growing louder. Reason being is because he held a very big calf number and they want to let him go. But, I mean, let's be honest. Julio's a bad man. And just about every team, no matter what weapons they have, are looking to go after him. Of course, teams like the Ravens, Colts, 49ers, Titans, and Chargers have been mentioned. But hell, even DeAndre Hopkins said that he would restructure his contract to be able to play with Julio in Arizona. So what we're going to do is we are going to rank the top five best fits for Julio if he were to be traded. So Ethan, do you want to go first or you want me to go? I'll let you go first. All right, bet. So number five, I'm going to say the Los Angeles Chargers. 
You have your quarterback of the future. You drafted um, Rashawn Slater, so you have a left tackle. You have a great receiver as well in Keenan Allen. But after that, Mike Williams has questions. He's going to be an upcoming free agent. You just need another piece to really solidify that offense and to make sure that you're putting um, Justin Herbert in the best position to succeed. And bringing in a cat like Julio can really do that. They got some nice production from their deaf receivers last year with injuries, but having a player like Julio is just a whole different ball game number four the Green Bay Packers right now they are trying to restructure and repair their relationship with Aaron Rodgers what better way than to fix that relationship than bringing in arguably the best wide receiver of the decade just imagine an offense with him and Devontae Adams that is damn near unstoppable and I think that with and it's no telling just the heights that he can really reach with having Julio um, speaking of Aaron Rodgers, and then even Devontae Adams, because Devontae is great, but between the two, defenses aren't going to really have the luxury of double-teaming anybody. So it's just going to create more opportunities for both of them. And like I said, most importantly, make Aaron Rodgers happy. Uh, number three, the San Francisco 49ers. While Brandon Ayuk had a solid rookie year, Debo Samuel is a guy who is very versatile. They, In my opinion, they lack a true number one receiver. And I think that if you bring in a Julio Jones, you get that veteran presence, a guy who we all know is built like a brick and plays like a freaking gazelle. And then you have those other guys there who can also create opportunities. Regardless of if it's Jimmy G or Trey Lance, Julio will immediately become their best friend and make that offense a lot better to where their run game would not have to be relied on to do everything because in their best most successful season there's it ran through their run game and George Kittle take a little pressure off of George Kittle and that run game especially because Raheem Mostert has an extensive injury history and I think that the 49ers be really really well suited next up number two the New England Patriots because God knows they need a number one receiver and it reports came out that before the draft they were attempting a mega trade that would get them the fourth overall pick and Julio Jones Honestly, I have no clue what they could have traded in order to make that deal happen to get both of those pieces besides Stephon Gilmore, but I'm interested to see how that would have played out. But I do think that while they did make moves to change their offense a bit, especially at tight end, I think that bringing in a player like Julio would give them that number one wide receiver that they lack. Reports are supposedly coming out that Julio wants to play with Cam Newton, but honestly, that doesn't make that much sense to me because it's not even a guarantee that Cam Newton is going to start all year. So I feel like... I don't think anybody will be that hyped to play with somebody who's more than likely going to be a backup by the midway point of the season. So that, that sounds a little suspect to me, but it would be a great fit. And then number one, you and I talked about it, but the new, the Tennessee Titans. Reason why I say the Titans are the best fit is just look at their offense. They lost Corey Davis. And let's be honest, we all know that Julio is a big upgrade over what Corey Davis is. And while A.J. Brown has shown wide receiver one potential, just imagine how high he can go when he gets to play with his idol and a player who, honestly, he plays a bit of a similar game to. Not to mention the run game that they have. Their offensive line is looking better. And Ryan Tannehill, he works best in play action. What better wide receiver to hit in play action? So those are my top five best fits for Julio if and potentially when he gets traded. So, for me, my number five, I'm in the greens with people. I'm going with the Los Angeles Chargers, simply for everything that you just stated. They they have their quarterback of the future. They have a star receiver in Keenan Allen. They have – they upgraded their offensive line. So, I can see that being a great place. Number four, I'm going to say the San Francisco 49ers, simply because they – 
they're a team where, similar to the Titans, they're a very play-action, they could be a very play-action dominant team because they have such a great running game. And if you insert Julio Jones, then you honestly can have one of the greater, one of the greatest deep threats ever being the guy that receives passes from a play-action set up. And because teams are going to react to Raheem mostly because when he's healthy, he is a, I'll say he's a top 15 running back in the NFL. Top 20 at worst. Um, but I will go there. Number three, I am going to say the New England Patriots. I think that they, they're, they're a team that are looking for some identity on the offensive side of the ball. And yes, I know I'm in agreement with you. I don't think Cam Newton would be the starter for the whole entire season. But also, if you integrate Matt Jones into their starting role, what better what better gift to give your young future franchise quarterback being a legendary receiver in his first year? Number two, I'm going to say the Green Bay Packers simply because they they pairing of they pairing of Devontae Adams and Julio Jones can be amazing. And like you stated, it can help mend their relationship with Aaron Rodgers. And number one, I have to go with my Tennessee Titans for everything that you stated. People, a lot of people slept on Ryan Tannehill's season last year. He threw, if I'm not, if I get my number wrong, I believe he threw like 37 touchdown passes. And he only had like maybe 10 interceptions. But he had like 40-something touchdowns overall, including rushing. And... If you add those numbers and you throw in a Julio Jones plus the threat of Derrick Henry, in my opinion, they could rival the Chiefs for one of the most unstoppable offenses in the NFL. Uh, he had 33 touchdowns, seven picks, and then okay. yeah, so pretty not that far off though. You do make a good point because I mean Tennessee was, if not the, if not was or if not was like top. Um, offense and scoring offense in the league last year. So just imagine how much more lethal they'd be with Julio. So you do make a great point. But all right, so Ethan, we talked about this a, a while ago, but you brought up the idea of doing like an NFL original teams, well, original NFL team selection. So let's go into that. Like what, what, what is it? So basically my thought behind it is we would take a list of the original teams in the NFL we would decide what team would we be a fan of simply based off of the history of the team plus maybe a little bit of their current situation and just going down like what do we think about those teams currently alright bet so I'm pulling up a list of the teams now and so those teams are so the original teams, as we know them now, it was eight teams. They are the New York Giants, Chicago Bears, Arizona Cardinals, Green Bay Packers, Detroit Lions, Washington, now football team, Philadelphia Eagles, and Pittsburgh Steelers. So, Ethan, of the OG teams, which one would you be a fan of? Um, it's honestly, for me, it would be a top between the Chicago Bears and the Pittsburgh Steelers. But I probably would go with the Bears. Simply because the Steelers have a bigger fan base nationally. And I always been a guy that like wants to go against the norm. But I think they they have the same history. They don't have the championship side of it. But they have the same history of being a strong defensive team, having a great running game. And 
just being a hard-nosed football team. And it's always been the type of football that I like. So I have to go with Chicago. As blasphemous as it sounds, considering my favorite team, I would be a Steelers fan. Reason being, like you said, I love hard-nosed teams, especially defensively. And, I mean, if we're talking historically just the greatest defenses overall, Pittsburgh, in my opinion, has to be at the top of that list. I mean, consistently within the last 15 years, it's kind of changed a bit. But overall, Pittsburgh has always been known for having a great defense, the steel curtain. Just think of the great defensive players to don the black and gold. And like I said, even though I'm a Ravens fan now, I have a lot of respect for the Steelers and their history. So unfortunately, I feel like based off of everything that they've been able to accomplish, I would be a Steelers fan, even though it, it sounds weird to say. But so now let's say we couldn't be fans of our favorite teams right now. Of the original teams, which team would you be rooting for? Still the Bears or do you think it'd be someone else? Um, it definitely would still be the Bears. I like, like, you know, I've been uh, like semi-closet Bears team for a while. But they also have my favorite player in the NFL and that came the Hicks. So I would have to be a Bears fan. I would be a Lions fan, which sounds weird, but I have been a Lions apologist for years. I mean, if you listen to old shows, like every year before the season starts, we do our realistic Super Bowl predictions. Then, like, who would you want to see? And, like, a good amount of time, I would say the Lions. Like, I love Matthew Stafford. I really enjoy the struggle bus that is the Lions. Like, I'm, I am a, I wouldn't say undercover fan, but I'm definitely an apologist. And so... If I was a Lions fan right now, my heart would be broken because going from Matthew Stafford to Jared Goff is not necessarily the most fun thing in the world. But I don't know, man. I always just find myself rooting for the Lions. Like, I want the Lions to be good. I can't necessarily give you a reason why. It's just I like the Lions and I want them to be successful. And Dan Campbell, we talked about it off the air. Like, Dan Campbell seems like a really cool coach to play for. I don't think they're going to win anything, but I bet that locker room is never going to be dull. So, yeah, that – now, realistically, would I ever jump ship from the Lions – from the Ravens to the Lions? Absolutely not. But if I had to pick of those eight teams, I'd, I'd, I'd say Lions. All right, but let's go ahead and talk – the NBA, because playoff time is finally here. So let's go ahead and kick things off. Ethan, your top three takeaways of this past week of action. Top three takeaways are, number three, Stephen Curry is not the MVP of the league. He had an amazing season, but a lot of people are falling into the recency bias of everything he's been doing. Because, honestly, Steph's been great all season, but he really... He like his supernova status like maybe a couple months ago. Um, number two, I think that a lot of the top seeds are either going are either they're going to be in difficult series or in the case of the Utah Jazz, I think the Jazz are going to beat them. Um, and number one, LeBron is the Le, LeBron rules in the class of LeBron. I don't know if you heard, it, but Apparently, he violated some of the protocols. Yeah, when he, hung, when he uh, kicked it with Drake. And Michael B. Jordan. But, yeah, and he's not being penalized for it. So, you know, if you ever want to break rules, if you ever want to be a person to break rules, just 
transform into LeBron and you won't get penalized. Yeah, which is BS to me. Um, and it, I don't think it's fair because we've heard other players get suspended for less or get in trouble for less, but because it didn't reach the threat level or spread level, or whatever, he's fine. But I feel like if it was any other player, they'd be like, nah, bro, you're suspended. But because it's Bron Bron and they need LeBron for the ratings, there you go. But all right, let's talk our Mamba players of the week. Starting for me um, out of the East, I'm going to go Jason Tatum. Drop 50 in the playing tournament game against the Wizards, a game that both of us said we thought the Wizards were going to win. He absolutely took over. Mamba mentality, doing having your best games in the where it matters the most, and that is what he did. So I got to go Jason Tatum. Yeah, I also have to go Jason Tatum for everything that you listen. Like you, you in a game where your season's on the line. We're not on the line because they would have played the the winner of the Pacers and Charlotte game. But in a game where it was the mid playoff status to drop, I think we just his career high fifty points. Mm-hmm. This big time, there's something this very mumble like. All right, and then next up out of the West. Oh, LeBron. I got to name him the Mamba. If not for any reason, but Kobe is clutch. And he had the clutch shot over Steph Curry. I don't believe that he will see in three rings. I mean, three hoops. I don't think that his eye injury was that bad. But, you know, LeBron is LeBron. and He's a bit dramatic. But you can't knock him for that beautiful shot, which won that game against the Warriors. Kobe was clutch. That Kobe did that on routine play basis, so I got to give it to LeBron. You already know where I'm going. Of in course. The of one, in the words of one Jermaine Cole, John ja, ja Morant, because I'm on my Disney. I got to go with John. Ja. He came up big in the biggest game of the season. He dueled with Stephen Curry, one of the greatest. I'll be real. Steph Curry is in my top ten point guards of all time. I don't know the specific number yet because his career is still going on. But he also, in this season, Steph Curry was the best point guard this season. Agreed. And he, he him. Yes, Steph had a higher points total than Ja, but Ja made the clutch plays when it mattered most. And he showed everybody why he was taken with the second overall pick only three years, two, three years ago. I agree with you, man. Ja was close. Ja was a very, very close second, especially because I don't know if you remember, but in the regular season finale, he talked about how he had to play better against Steph. And so not only did he play better, but he won the game and then brought the Grizzlies back to the playoffs, something he said he was going to do. So very happy for Ja in that organization. So, yeah, no, Ja was a very, very close second. All right, let's go kick it off with some league news. First off, sending our congratulations to Marv Albert, who announced that he will be retiring after the 2021 NBA Eastern Conference Finals. As we all know, Marv Albert is one of the most celebrated um, sports broadcasters, especially for basketball, in history. Been doing it for over two decades, so congratulations to him. He will be missed. He will be missed. Got to get used to new voices. I mean, TNT is getting a whole bunch of new people now since... uh, Marv is retiring. Uh, Chris Webber is gone. It's TNT basketball is going to be looking real interesting. And I wonder if Steven Jackson will get a job, which he should. I mean, Mark Jackson, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I'm glad that Chris Webber is leaving. Like, I was a fan of him as a player, but as a commentator, 
That's not he's that's not his niche. He's very he's boring. Like when the players are commentating the things of their nature, I you know outside of Grant Hill, Grant Hill was older. But like I wanted a little bit of a different approach to it, so I don't mind see Will being gone. But also congratulations to Marv Allen, yeah. one of the iconic voices of the NBA. So. All right, so let's talk about a player, another older player, Kwame Brown, whose name literally, unless it's in a passing joke or you see a meme about him on social media, his name's really not brought up. But apparently he had just come back to life in this past week, making comments about all the smoke host Matt Barnes. He talked about Stephen A. Jackson threatening to, I mean, Stephen A. Smith threatening to fight him, slap his toupee off his head, blah, blah, blah. Pretty much just getting Twitter fingers and getting the most popularity he has had since he's been in the league. Probably my my favorite thing he said this week was, me and Kobe dropped 82 combined and we won. Everyone wanted to see Kobe score and his teammates didn't score. And you mad? Did you see the screens I was setting? Are you not entertained? And then other things were said. He made mention about how he was considered a loser, but at the age of 18, he was able to buy his mom a house, retire his family, and he made the comment of, if I'm a loser, then more black boys should be losers. He said a lot of stuff over the week, which honestly, that could be a whole podcast in itself. But overall, do you think that Kwame Brown deserves more respect, or does he deserve no. to be clown? Okay, cool, just make sure. No. Kwame Brown, like, so... I don't know if you listened to it, but I actually literally just finished listening to that episode of All the Smoke, like, Friday. And what happened was literally, they cracked some jokes, because they got to a segment where it spit on what Gilbert was talking about, Kwame, and, like, Steven Jackson, and um, Matt Barnes were basically saying the greatest overall number one draft pick ever. Just clowning, being, like, typical, like, what dudes do. Like, if you go to a barbershop and you bring up Kwame Brown, it's going to be that one dude that's going to be like, nah, he was the greatest number one overall pick in the history of the NBA. Just joking. Right. And, like, they honestly really didn't say much outside of that. Um, Gilbert Arenas was basically saying that it was difficult for Kwame Brown because he got drafted to a team with with Michael Jordan. And we all know Michael Jordan's personality. He was like, I feel like... MJ took his confidence away with how tough he was. So, like, the stuff that he's saying, like, he doesn't deserve the respect that he thinks he does. And also, just being real, like, it, they weren't really talking that bad about him in a way that he was making the same. Yeah. I think that with Kwame, I think that my biggest thing is if you're upset about something why not approach it when it happened when Stephen a was giving you the business about how terrible you were you i i at least in my recollection i don't remember him saying anything i don't remember saying jack and then so i feel like the one time you're mentioned on a popular podcast among nba players you want to act hard but it's just like dude what what have you done Like, nobody is saying that you're not a man. Nobody is saying that you're not this or that. You're just not a good professional basketball player. And that's okay. A lot of people aren't. 
And I just feel like the way he's talking, you would think that he was putting up like solid six man of the year numbers, but people just clown him. Like, no, you just weren't good. And everybody knows that you weren't good. And it's dope that you were able to help get your family out of, you know, financial strains and all that. You were making money. But, like, you weren't a good basketball player. And I don't think that it's too crazy for people to acknowledge you're not a good basketball player and crack jokes about it. And then, like, and then all of a sudden it's like you were disrespected. What did you do in the league, like, in terms of being a player to earn respect? Because, honestly, I got nothing. And I just think that social media and he- and uh, cloud is a hell of a drug. And once you get some attention, you just start acting buck wild. Because let's be honest, if 30 people looked at his live when he was going off, he wouldn't be saying all this stuff throughout the week. He would have dead it. He wouldn't have said anything else because nobody cared. But because more people were sharing it and retweeting it and reposting it, he was like, oh, I got everybody's attention. But let's be honest, in a week or two from now, is anybody going to be talking about Kwame Brown? No. No. He just wanted to flex his social media muscles. He wanted to sound cool, but in all actuality, nobody cares about Kwame Brown. And they're not going to care. Matt Barnes made a great quote about it. It was like, they don't care about you, young blood. They don't care about me. They just want to see the drama. And that's literally all it is. Because a week from now, nobody's going to be talking about it. Nobody cares. But let's talk about something that... It is clear that somebody cares about, and that's Damian Lillard winning a championship for Portland. We talked about it last week about him potentially staying with Portland for his whole career, and he talked about how big it would be for him to bring a championship to the Rip City. He said, I can't express my desire and like how bad I want to win a championship, not just to say I won a championship, but I want to do it in this city. I want to have a parade on Broadway. Realistically, it's not going to happen this year. But do you think that at some point of Damian Lillard's career, he will be able to fulfill that desire to bring a championship to Portland? Being realistic, I don't. Simply because he he's in an era where it's a lot of great players on a lot of different teams. And those teams are better than Portland. Like, the issue, I think that the issue in Portland is that they have a lot of people that can score, but they can't stop anybody. And they are tied to a lot of those guys for an extended period of time. Right. Like, I don't know exactly how old Dane is, but I think he's either, he's like maybe 29, 30, 31 range. So it's like, he won't, he doesn't technically have that long left to actually be a star caliber player in the NBA unless... Well, today, as you never know, these guys are playing well past what normal standards of prime are. But um, I don't think he'll bring a championship to Portland. But I respect him for wanting to stay there, not wanting to team up with anybody to chase the championship, and doing his damnedest to bring a championship to the city they drafted him. So, on the one, yeah, Dame is 30, and he's going to be 31 in July. But, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I feel like unless they really have a roster rehaul and trying to bring in players who can defend but also can score, I don't see it happen, happening for Portland, which is unfortunate because I like Dame. I Like you said, like I really admire his desire to try to bring a championship to the team that drafted him, especially a team that's honestly a smaller market. 
And I mean, I think the closest that he got was that Western Conference Finals, and I I'd be shocked if they made it that far with this current roster. Things can happen. I mean, like I said, they can get change their roster around, but like you said, they got a lot of money tied into other players. What players can you really bring in who can really help you push you to that championship level, but won't count too much against the cap? You know, like. And then also will be young enough to stick with it for some time. Do you have the right coach? I just feel like there's so many questions that really go into the potential of winning a ring. And just right now, I can't see that happening for Portland, which is unfortunate. Because honestly, I feel like if Dame left, I could see him win the ring somewhere else. But in terms of doing it for Portland, I don't see it happening. But let's talk about another player whose future is up in the air, John Wall. He, as we know, his season ended early um, with an injury and then take having that season-ended surgery. And so now the questions remain if he's even going to be a part of the Houston Rockets next year. An anonymous NBA scout said he will be traded or bought out. Wall is not going to play for the Rockets next season. Now, while Wall in comments and on social media said he wants to stay in Houston, I don't know if you saw it, but did you see the Instagram poll where it was like, will John Wall leave or stay in Houston next season? And John Wall apparently had clicked he was going to leave. I hadn't. I didn't see that. Yeah, I'll, if I can find it, I'll try to send it to you. But in your personal opinion, where do you think John Wall plays next year, in Houston or somewhere else? I think he's going to be somewhere else simply because uh, I think Houston, they have pieces that they can build with. Like they have Kevin Porter Jr. who showed flashes last season to be a potential star player. They have King Martin Jr., a guy that showed that he can have flashes of maybe not being a star player, but being a very productive player. They also have, um, if I'm not mistaken, they also might have a pretty decent draft pick in this upcoming draft. No, they trade out of draft picks, I'm sorry. But, um, yeah, so they have pieces and they have things around them. And I just think that John Wall is at the point in his career where he's older, He's more injury prone, and his name, because of off the court things, also his name isn't as attractive as it used to be in the past. Like if we were talking about prime John Wall before the injuries when he was playing for the Wizards, he would definitely still be on the roster. But now he's he's kind of like I hate to use this term, but he's kind of like Daniel Spinks, yeah. and I don't think that he's going to stay on the roster. Yeah, I he's definitely more expendable than he was. And I, rem, I remember when you and I were talking about the Russ for John Wall trade. And we talked about at the time it seemed like it was just an even trade. But now it's looking like the Wizards definitely won that trade because of what Russell Westbrook did. I mean, became the all-time leader in triple doubles, Will played a big role in willing that team into a playoff berth when they looked like, I think at the time, had the worst record in the East. And you don't see that with John Wall. On a head-to-head comparison, while Russ was doing his thing in Washington, Houston went on a 20-21 game losing streak with John Wall was healthy. And so I just think that it just shows that while John Wall, of course, in his prime was an effective player, right now he just seems like a cat who is not helping you win games. And for a team like the Rockets who are in a rebuild, and a team also that is so young because they have so many young cats on that team, 
I would not I'd be more so shocked if they kept him just because it's like you're a veteran player who's not helping us win. Whereas we could trade you. We may not be able to get much for you, but we could trade you and bring in somebody who could help us out. So yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I don't think that he stays in Houston. All right, but let's talk about another guard who has shown flashes, but unlike John Wall, his own troubles have gotten him out of the league. Tyreek Evans, who um, on May 17th, he it was two years um, after his last game where he had been disqualified from the NBA after a drug violation where he has been reinstated. Now, the last time we saw Mr. Evans was when he was with the Pacers in 2018 where he averaged 10.2 points per game, 2.9 rebounds, and 2.4 assists. Do you Could you see a team taking a chance on Tyreek Evans this upcoming season? with the NBA unlike other sports like for example football you get more second chances and so because let's be honest it's not like he's going to command a whole bunch of money and because let's be honest he's going to be on a bit of a probationary period because he is coming off such a long suspension from the league but I feel like with basketball if you can hoop you can hoop and I think that if he can even come to a team and bring in the what 15 a game off the bench. I feel like that would be a great move for just a contender or somebody who needs more offense. Also, he's also a pretty solid defensive player. So, yeah, no, I could see a team taking a chance on him. Which team? I'm not sure yet. Get back to me after free agency. But I would be uh, – who you got? The Clippers. That would make a lot of sense. Simply because they lost the Williams, and I think they, that they struggled with after they got rid of the wheel, they had no scoring off the bench. That would be a good signing. I mean, and let's be honest, the Clippers are known to sign just about anybody. So that would make a lot of sense. But, yeah, like I could see him being on the team and providing a nice uh, a nice boost off the bench. While, of course, he's not going to give you the – I don't think he gives you as many points or the explosiveness as a Lou Will at his best. I do think that that would be a really nice signing. But, all right, let's talk about uh, Steph and the Warriors for a bit. As we all know, they lost last night, which means they are out of the playoffs. But prior to that game – uh, Stephen A. Smith had a lot to say about the team and said that the Warriors are going to be a problem next season. This is the duo that won a ring without Kevin Durant. In that statement, he was mentioned that Klay Thompson will be back after missing these last couple of years with an ACL injury. So, do you think that Steph and the Warriors next year should be considered con- championship contenders with Klay coming back? Yeah, 
definitely would say they could be a team that gets a high playoff season simply because you're basically getting the band back together before KD. It is Steph, Clay, Draymond, and you can insert guys here and there. Like if they resign Andrew Wiggins, he shows that he could be a productive player in their system. So I can see them being a top. If everyone's healthy, I can see them being a top five in the, in the, in the playoffs. Yeah, I can see that as well. All right, so – Next up, continuing with the conversation of Steph and the Warriors, Kenny Smith said this, um, as great as LeBron is, the best player on the planet today, as of right now, is Steph Curry. Would you agree with that? Um, no. I would, it's not LeBron either. I would say the best player, when he's healthy right now, is Kevin Durant. Fair enough. Um, I, would, I wouldn't say LeBron either, but I don't – I think I would, at this present moment, I think I would say Steph, because like you said, with Kevin Durant, it's the caveat of if, when he's healthy. And so in terms of just right now, I don't have to worry about Steph's health. I don't have to worry about X, Y, and Z, all those other factors that you kind of have to put in with other players. So in terms of right now, and at least the last few weeks, I would agree that Steph is the best player in the league, but he's not in the playoffs, which is which I feel like kind of diminishes his MVP argument, which the same was said by Damian Lillard, who talked about the MVP race, which we're going to get to in just a second, where Dame said, I don't think that Steph wins it at the eighth seed. I just don't see how that works. Last year, it was people like Stephen A. Smith saying, hey, man, I love what Dame is doing, but he can't be the MVP because they're the eighth seed. But last year, I averaged 30 points and eight assists. Uh, but last year, they're like, man, we can't consider him an MVP because they're the AC, and now it's okay. So the NBA released its finalists for the MVP award. It's Steph, unsurprisingly, Nikola Jokic, and jo- Joel Embiid. I know you mentioned earlier that Steph was not the MVP of the league, but do you think that there is some hypocrisy with regards to seeding and if a player should be in champion? I mean, MVP contention? Oh, for sure, because, like, Dane, in a very similar fashion, last season toward the end of the year, Dane was the best player in basketball. Like, he was dropping ridiculous numbers. He he had ridiculous numbers, and they didn't give him his love, and I think it's simply because, like, Steph is Steph, and the NBA loves Steph, and Dane is just one of those guys that, like, Fans love, but the media doesn't. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think that it's some hypocrisy to it. Yeah, I would agree with that too. I mean, while one can make an argument that Steph is doing a bit more just because of the pieces around him, I mean, Dame was balling just as hard. I mean, Dame had a great year and his team was plagued with injuries. And, I mean, hell, there was even some questions of what they'd be able to do in the playoffs as that AC. And then, like you said, I mean, Steph is a darling. Like, Steph, to his credit, has really changed the way that basketball is being played. But I don't think – I'm in agreement with you. I don't really think it's fair that he would be in the conversation but not a player like Damian Lillard. But, all right, let's go ahead and pick our winners for regular season awards. Let's start off with NBA Coach of the Year. We got the Jazz's Quinn Snyder, Knicks' Tom Thibodeau, and Suns' Monty Williams. Who you got? I'm actually going with Tom Thibodeau. 
yeah, I'm actually in agreement with you on that. If I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but I mean, at least the Suns, they kind of ended last year on a hot streak. They get a veteran player like CP3, and then they have Devin Booker. Ahead of this season, They had the Knicks had nobody on that roster who was even in the guy's tier, and just see how much they have grown and evolved over this last year with Tom Thibodeau in place has been pretty remarkable. So, yeah, I would say Coach Thibs, too. All right, uh, Defensive Player of the Year. There's Jazz's Rudy Gobert. Draymond Green of the Warriors and Ben Simmons of the 76ers. I would go Ben Simmons for this one. I'm going Ben Simmons also. All right, next man, next up, sixth man of the year. You got the Jazz's Jordan Clarkson and Joel Ingles. And I don't remember, I think it was Dennis Schroeder who said it, but how can you have a team with two sixth men of the year? And Derrick Rose of the Knicks, who you got? I'm going with... This is probably the tough one in my opinion, but I'm going with Derrick Rose because it's similar to what Dennis Schroeder just said. How can you have two six men of the year? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go Jordan Clarkson. I think that we saw how good Jordan Clarkson could be coming off the bench last year, and I think that it's, he's been even better this past year, especially when Spider got hurt. And so because of that, I'm going to go Clarkson, even though it's just weird how there's two six men. All right, next up, most improved player. For me, this was the easiest. Uh, there's Jeremy Grant of the Detroit Pistons, Michael Porter Jr. of the Nuggets, and Julius Randle of the Knicks. I think it's safe to say that Julius Randle deserves this. Yeah, for sure. you got to be Julius Randle. All right, next up, we have Rookie of the Year, a bit tougher, LaMelo Ball of the Hornets, Anthony Edwards of the Timberwolves, and Tyrese Halliburton from the Kings. Uh, I got LaMelo. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, you're good. I got LaMelo, too. Main, the biggest factor is he had his team in playoff contention. His What he did impacted the game more than what Ant did. That To me, that's what it really came down to, even though both of them had a great year. All right, and then finally, MVP, Steph Curry, who we both ruled out, Joel Embiid of the 76ers, and Nikola Jokic of the Nuggets, who you got? I have Joel Embiid, but I know it's going to be Nikola Yeah, I, I'm actually in agreement with you. I said Joel Embiid, too. I think that, I mean, we just talked about the impact, your numbers and how you impact your team, and I just feel like Joel Embiid had a more tremendous impact. I mean, the 76ers are the number one seed in the East. Before he went down, he looked like a consensus MVP. And even when he came back from his injury, he looked like the consensus MVP. But I do understand the argument for Jokic. And honestly, I don't think you can really lose with either answer. But I agree about uh, – I definitely am in agreement with you about going with Joel Embiid. But all right, let's go ahead and start first round of the playoffs. There's a per- presently a playoff game right now, the Miami Heat taking on the Milwaukee Bucks. So – who do you have winning this series and in how many games? I actually have Miami with the upset again, and I have it in six or seven. Okay. I got Bucks in I got Bucks in seven. I mean, this this was definitely a series that it's a bit tougher to predict while the Eastern one uh seemed pretty cut and dry, but I think that I mean, Jimmy Butler talked about how he likes his chances and how he's not intimidated by anybody. And, I mean, this is a team that should not intimidate them because they did beat them. But I think that 
this is a really big year for the Bucks. I think that with the first round exit, especially going after Drew Holiday and trying to bring in people like P.J. Tucker and just trying to formulate this roster to better suit Giannis and for them to get knocked out in the first round would be freaking insane. I feel like they would just burn it all down. I think everybody's gone, starting with Mike Budenholzer. But I think that they're able to pull it together, but they're going to have to work for every win that they get. But I got Bucks in seven. All right, Philadelphia 76 is taking on the um, – the uh, Washington Wizards. Who you got? I got Philly, but it's going to be an interesting series. Yeah, I got Philly in six, but I think I'm a great. I think it is going to be a lot of fun to watch. I mean, according to Scott Brooks, he feels confident because they have the best backcourt in basketball, which I disagree with. But I do love the duo of Damian Lillard. I mean, not Damian Lillard, of Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook. But I think Joel Embiid is just going to be too much. But I think they take it to six games. Brooklyn Nets versus the Boston Celtics. I got Nets in five. I got Nets in four. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. I feel like Jason Tatum is going to have one more, like, crazy game. But after that, it's, it's going to be all she wrote. All right, last series, the New York Knicks versus the Atlanta Hawks. I got Knicks in five. Yeah, I got Knicks. I got Knicks in six. I think it was. Actually, no, I got five because I think, like, I think the way the officiating in the playoffs are, I think is going to drastically affect the uh, the Hawks because we both know that Trey Young is a guy that he seeks out trying to draw foul calls, and very similar to James Harden in the playoffs when those calls aren't. Call like that on the regular season, it affects their, it affects their games, and I think that's gonna happen to Trey Young. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, like you see, you pretty much hit it on the head. Most of Trey Young's offense comes from drawing fouls, and because in the NBA in the playoffs they get a bit more lenient, I think that he's gonna see the repercussions of that. All right, next up, let's you know what? we're gonna start off with the bit easier one. Dallas Mavericks taking on the Los Angeles Clippers. I got Clippers in six. I got Clippers. Yeah, that, now, Paul George said people laughed at playoff P. They about to see finals MVP. I don't think that happens, but it's cute that he tried to he tried to turn it around. I don't I don't think that's gonna happen for him though. I think he's gonna have a better playoff than he did last year. He has to. I feel like if he doesn't, like I I wouldn't be surprised if they're like, all right, if you hear a whole bunch of Paul George out of LA news. All right, next up, the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Phoenix Suns. I feel for Chris Paul because he said this year, I'm trying to break my record of not winning championships. It's not happening this year. I got Lakers in six. I got Lakers in seven. It will be – I think it has potential to be a good series, but if LeBron is fully healthy and AD is fully healthy, I, I think it's going to be all she wrote. I think it's going to – I, I – I want Chris Paul to be successful though, but I just I just don't see it happening this year. All right, next up we got the Denver Nuggets versus the the Portland Trail Blazers. Who you got? I got Portland. Really? In how many games? I have Portland in like six, and the only reason I have Portland is because Denver they they have some significant injuries, and in late. Clips moments in games, they typically go to the Jamal Murray and Nicole Yuck's pick and roll in two man game. 
and with Jamal Murray being out, they don't have that anymore. And also, like who, like who's going to step up for them? Like, is Michael Porter Jr. going to continue to average the amount of points that he did in the regular season in the playoffs? So that's why in Portland they basically have everybody that they're familiar with. So I gotta go with Portland. I'm gonna go Nuggets, even though I think that the uh, Trailblazers do have a really nice shot, especially considering all the main things you said, especially with those injuries, particularly to with Jamal Murray. But I just feel like we talked about it a lot with the Trailblazers these last few weeks. But defensively, they just really cannot stop anyone. Nikola Jokic, I feel like he's really going to be able to dominate. And then Michael Porter Jr., we've seen nice flashes from him as well. I think that he can really step up and take those chances. And I feel like as the series goes on, I think the Nuggets are going to get a bit healthier. And so I think they're going to end up edging it out. All right, and finally, the one that is going to be, in my opinion, the most interesting series out of the West the Utah Jazz versus the Memphis Grizzlies. I know you said Grizzlies earlier, but expand on that a little bit. Um, I'm saying Grizzlies in six or seven simply because the way that the Grizzlies have been playing defensively, especially throughout these playing series, I think that they're locked in. I also think that John Morant is going to take that step in these playoffs and show people that he's actually worth their hype that he he had last season and that he really should have deserved earlier this season. I think that he had a lot of games where he struggled and people kind of like trashed him on it, especially like that particular game against the Warriors in the first, at the end of the season. Like a lot of people like, so is this the guy that everybody said was amazing? He doesn't seem that amazing. But, and I also know that the, the Grizzlies players, they aren't afraid of Rudy Gobert. Like, it's been multiple times where I, I saw John Morant go at Rudy Gobert hard to the basket. Giannis Valanciunas, he calls, I mentioned this before when we talked about defensive player of the year, I think, where Rudy Gobert is a great help defender, but he's not great at one-on-one defense. And Giannis Valanciunas always puts up great numbers against Rudy Gobert. I think that this is going to continue. I think that if Dylan Bruce is still able, he's going to be able to continue to play the level of defense that he's been playing against a Donovan Mitchell. Like, we, I know that they have Mike Conley, but it's Mike Conley going to still be able to produce, especially after being gone for such an amount of time been injured. And I also know that they have Jordan Clarkson, but it's like we just talked about it. The playoffs are a completely different game. So I think at this point it's a anybody can win it. I agree with you that it's up in the air and when the Grizzlies won, I said that it's going to come down to the health of Spider because I feel like Spider is the X factor. I feel like if Donovan Mitchell goes off, then I think that that's really what's going to be able to put the Jazz over the Grizzlies. And he's missed a lot of time as well. And it's just, I know it's going to take some time for him to get back in the groove of it. So, I'm going to say Grizzlies in seven. I think they pull off the upset. Because the thing is, the Utah Jazz are a number one seed. But I don't, maybe I'm tripping. But after Donovan Mitchell got hurt, nobody talked about the Jazz. Like, it really just – they were a team that had a, a great season, had a great final record, but they're not a number one seed that people are like, oh, yeah, they're going to make it far. 
And so I don't think it'd be that much of a shock if they were to lose to the Grizzlies just because the Grizzlies match up very well with them. You talked about Rudy Gobert and Jonas Valanciunas. Like, head-to-head, you know that Jonas isn't going to back down. Mike Conley is a fine point guard, but, I mean, he's not the player that he was, plus coming off that injury. Do you really expect him to be able to slow down um, John Morant? Because I don't. And like I said, I feel like with the X factor of Donovan Mitchell, if Donovan Mitchell goes off, that's one thing. I think that that's going to be what puts them over the hump. But if Donovan isn't to his full strength, I could see the Grizzlies advancing to the next round. All right, you all, let's go ahead and talk backlash recap. I know it's WrestleMania backlash, but honestly, I hate saying that all right but here's what happened we finally got a ricochet pay-per-view sighting but it was short-lived after Sheamus won Rhea Ripley takes advantage of an assist from Charlotte and retains her Raw Women's Championship I don't literally mean Charlotte helped her win but she helped incapacitate Asuka you get it um the Mysterios make history and become the first father-son duo to become tag team champions after defeating the former champs I forgot their tag team name I like calling them Rudolph so they beat Rudolph um, because why not have zombies as lumberjacks, I guess. Damian Priest won, and The Miz seems to have suffered a serious injury. What I'm hearing is a torn ACL, and I really hope that's not the case, because that really sucks. Um, and despite Bailey's best efforts to cheat, Bianca used her cutting to retain her SmackDown Women's Championship. Bobby Lashley retains his championship, and it's even better, at least for me, because he pinned Braun Strowman, and we all know my feelings about Braun Strowman. And then to close out the show, despite a hell of an effort by Cesaro, uh, Roman Reigns put that man to sleep and retained his Universal Championship on the night. I won five and one. The SmackDown Tag Team Championships is what got me, but I'm not mad at it because I actually really enjoyed that match. In fact, I enjoyed it so much. It was actually my favorite match of the night. I know that in my predictions, I talked about uh, the Mysterios not being the best contenders, and I can admit when I'm wrong. It was a really good match. I really liked the storytelling of it, of Mysterio, uh, I'm sorry, Ray having to come out and do most of the work after Dominic had gotten beaten up. He came back, and it was just a really well-paced match. I think it just showed the talents of each of the four participants in it, especially because, I mean, Dominic, we saw flashes when he would go up against um, Seth Rollins and that long, drawn-out feud, but we saw flashes of how good he can be. And I think that this past Sunday was one of those instances where he really could do this. And so it's nice to see, you know, him get his props, and I'm excited to see how it goes with the championships, you know, until the Street Profits or the Usos take the titles off of him. All right, uh, my favorite moment. Mm, I Honestly... <laughs> This was a toss-up between seeing uh, Seth Rollins' suit because I love that suit. I know people get on him or whatever about his suits or them being tacky, but the one on Sunday was, uh, it was bumping. But uh, my favorite moment I had to give to Rhea Ripley talking crap to Charlotte after retaining when she was on the turnbuckle and Charlotte was behind her and saying, nah, 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 nah. And, like, it, it was funny. Just because not many people can talk stuff to Charlotte. Even though she didn't technically defeat Charlotte, it's still fun and funny to see her try to get her ones um against the queen uh increased stock of course i'm gotta go with cesaro i mean just the man is a tremendous wrestler he's really been putting on great showings time and time again and though no one's really that surprised that he lost i think that this 
latest matches showed that he can put on great matches. He's a real contender. And even if he doesn't have a title to show for it, he is a tier one performer in the business today. And it's nice to see him really get those opportunities. Um, in terms of who decreased their sock, it was kind of tough to really pick. But I think I'm going to go with Asuka. Reason being, while Asuka is Asuka and she's a tremendous wrestler, and if you ask me, top five greatest women's wrestler of all times, it's just like, now it's like, okay, well, what's next? You know, and I'll be the first person to say I think that Asuka performs better when she's not a champion. I feel like they book her better as opposed to when she is champion, they don't really know what to do with her as champ. And so... Even though I have her as a decrease stock, I think that she has potential to start doing some cool things. But right now, it's just like, well, what is she going to do? Because honestly, I have no clue. I can see her them potentially having her feud with Eve Marie when she gets back. But nobody wants to see Eve Marie beat Asuka in a feud. And I will argue that point with anyone. Um, all right. So my one booking decision. I mean, I understand Batista is inevitably going to be in all of fame as we know he's supposed to be in it this year and we love batista blah 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 wwe connections but i could give a care less about his show like if you want to promote his show that's cool but every five seconds commentary should not be bringing it up you should not keep seeing ads for it and most and freaking importantly why the hell are there zombies in 2021 at a wrestling pay-per-view i thought we retired zombies when freaking undertaker retired i thought that trope was done we don't need that again and it was stupid and it was terrible and i'm not in agreement with Chris Jericho who says that it set the business back 30 years, but it's definitely like, dude, what the hell? Like, if you want to promote Batista, if you want to hype up Batista's new show, go right ahead. That's great. That's awesome. But the whole zombie thing and the fact that it was brought up every five minutes was like, all right, no. Like, WWE has had sponsors, but you would think that the only reason why they had the damn show was because of Batista and Netflix funding the freaking pay-per-view. Like, it was frustrating. So, my bomb book decision, have a couple of sponsors, you know, mention it. Sure, that's fine. But it should not be essentially a glorified show hyping up that Batista's next thing. Like, nobody cares. Um... My WTF moment really had nothing to do with the card itself. But me and many other wrestling fans, or at least I've seen on social media, are very confused as to why the hell is Hell in a Cell taking place next month. Now, on the one hand, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and I'm recording this a few days after the pay-per-view. I understand they want to have money in the bank in front of fans, which honestly I am very happy for because last year's Money in the Bank experiment, I hated it. But... Hell in a cell? Like, wouldn't that be something you kind of want to have in front of fans? Like, at least in my opinion, I think that having that brutality, unless you're going to pre-tape the matches and not do it live, that's one thing. But it was just weird because Hell in a Cell is into, like, October, November. So it's like, why is this happening now? I mean, I get it because they wanted to have money in the bank in front of fans, which I totally root for. But it's still just like, it was very weird when that, uh, when that promo came up and they were promoting it, and it was just like, okay, cool. But overall, um, I gave the show, I gave it a B minus. It's probably closer to the C plus range. But I mean, overall, it wasn't a terrible show. I mean, I feel like the right people won, and that's not even me being biased, but in terms of like elevating championships and pushing championships to the best potential, I think that, you know, keeping it on 
Bobby, Rhea, and Roman and Bianca were the best moves. And I'm excited to see how they it really plays out in the future. But yeah, I mean, in terms of everything, it was a solid show. Nothing really to write home about, but I mean, it's not the worst thing they've ever done. It was just a, it was what backlash has become in recent years. And it's just WrestleMania uh, rematches and just the opportunity to get a check and um, remind people of who's champions. But that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please share, check out the export.net. I repeat, the export.net for exclusive sports content. One of my yours, truly fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Export. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.